Welcome everyone. We are passionate at Church Alive, helping people fulfill God's potential for their lives. And that means developing, building, coaching, inspiring leaders. And so I hope you'll have a leaning factor that today you can grow. Today you can take on a new mentality, a new mindset. And as you allow God to prune you, lift you, other people to inspire you, learn from you, you can become all that God has destined you to become. If you haven't noticed, it's starting to get a little bit cooler outside. And uh, do we have sweater weather people in here? No, don't, don't you start screaming. You like getting your hot chocolates, your blankies, you're looking forward to the snow. My man's hand in the back is still up. He loves all of that stuff. I don't. I like summer. Summer is the best, right? And you know, in New Jersey, Memorial Day weekend is the unofficial kickoff to summer, right? Down the shore opens per se. Everybody, you know, that's the moment. But for me, July 4th is summer, right? Because look, you just got out of school, right? So you've been, been out of school for a couple of weeks and then it's July 4th and you've got hamburgers, you've got hot dogs, you've got fireworks, you've got America. And it is just an amazing day. And you've still got the rest of the summer left. And then, you know, you've got three days at the end where you've got to read nine books because, you know, that's what New Jersey does. So July 4th, we remember and we call it our Independence Day. And it was the day that the Declaration of Independence was adopted. And, you know, that day, though, it wasn't just like all of a sudden Thomas Jefferson got a bunch of guys together and said, hey, I don't know. Uh, we don't really like Britain, right? Let's, uh, let's just write him a letter. And let him know that we're not going to do this anymore. Or maybe, maybe he stood on the beach in New Jersey since it was open in July. And he looked across the ocean and he said, I declare independence. <laughs> and then everyone else was like, dude, you can't just yell it and expect something to happen. He's like, I declared it. And people that watch The Office know what I just said. So <laughs> this was not just something that happened on July 4th. Actually, the process of America going towards independence started many, many years earlier. In 1765, it was really the first moment in American history that we saw this resistance against Britain. It was the Stamp Act of Congress. And what happened was British, British Parliament had signed the Stamp Act, which basically meant in the American colonies, you couldn't buy or do anything with trade unless you had a special piece of paper. And so the Americans were just like, no. And they got together, and this was the first moment that people in the American colonies started to get together and say, yeah, we're not really liking this whole taxation without representation. I don't got anybody over there in Britain, and now you're telling me I got to pay you taxes, right? 1770, we see the Boston Massacre. There was a British soldier who was out and about and got surrounded by a couple guys in Boston. One thing led to another. Eight British soldiers showed up. And we saw three Bostonians get killed. And then they started to say, wait a minute, you're not only taking my money, you're killing us. 1773, we see the Boston Tea Party. The British East India Company was allowed to come into the American colonies and was allowed to sell tea from China tax-free. And so the American merchants said, no, Americans have always been American. Have you noticed that? We just don't like people taking advantage of us. Got on a boat, dumped the, all of the tea overboard and into the harbor. 1774, we see the Continental Congress get together. This is really the beginning of the, uh, all of the American colonies coordinating together to put resistance against Britain. 1775, we see the start of the Revolutionary War. 1776, we see our Declaration of Independence. July 2nd 
is when all of the American colonies voted for a Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson was the principal author of that document. On July 4th, they voted and they adopted the language of the document. And actually, funny enough, the thing that is on display in Washington, D.C. was not signed until August. So now, 1776, we signed a piece of paper. We declared freedom. Were we free? 1777, 1778, 1779, 1780, 1781, 1782, 1783. Seven years after the Declaration of Independence was signed, the Treaty of Paris was signed, formally ending the Revolutionary War and establishing America as her own sovereign nation and the only modern nation to this day that was founded from her beginning as a full democracy. Bet you weren't expecting a history lesson at church today, but you got one. <laughs> so America's free. We got rid of Britain. But now what we start to do is we, we, we have to start figuring ourselves out. We start to go on this journey where we're starting to understand what is our morality? What are we going to pursue? America was founded on godly principles and godly wisdom, right? Are we going to pursue that and allow that to inform how our culture is, how our laws are written, or is something going to be different? So we go on this internal development and we're still on it. In the 1800s, we saw most notably slavery. We saw the Emancipation Proclamation and the Civil War, signs that inside we were wrestling. Do we be obedient to the word of God or do we try to do our own thing, right? And then as we're moving along, we get into the 1900s and then we start to see really the foreign influence is starting to come and it's trying to rob our freedom, right? So we have to go to war, World War I, World War II, protecting our right to be a free nation. There's been countless and many battles and wars ever since the beginning of the 1900s, right? And not that all of them were right. I'm not going to get into the rationale of why they started, but we're out there, what? Defending our freedom, right? Are there any veterans or active service members in this room today. Thank you, Greg, for your service. Thank you, John, for keeping us free. But as I was thinking about this, I realized that the journey that our nation went on in the physical is remarkably similar to the journey that you and I go on, spiritually speaking, when we put our faith in Jesus. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Freedom is a Journey. Now, while we can look at America as a nation to kind of give us some insight as to what happens along this journey, there's another nation that we can look at, and it is the nation of Israel. And so what happened was Joseph was in Egypt and became very highly favored. He was esteemed because he had wisdom. So the Israelites, when they were in Egypt in the very beginning, they had favor. But in the beginning of the book of Exodus, it tells us that a Pharaoh came into power and it says he did not know Joseph. Uh-oh. He didn't know all the good stuff that Joseph did and the value that God's people have wherever they go. So what happened was he looked at this big group of people and he said, wait a minute. There's a whole large group of people who are very unified and have a culture and they're all within my country. If they freak out and try to take over, we're in trouble. And so for 430 years, we see that God's people were in bondage. They were forced into hard labor. They had to make bricks. They had to cut stones. 
Then we see after 430 years, the Bible says that God heard their cry and he raised up Moses. We see the story of Moses. Moses floated down the river, got picked up by a princess, wound up growing up in Pharaoh's house. Do you think that was an accident? No, there are no accidents. You realize how that river had to flow when he wound up right in the right place, 10 feet away in the, in the weeds. She would have never seen him. God had a plan for his people. Moses comes and goes throughout his life where he's, 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 honed in. He's cultivated as a person. He goes through um, all of these different things in his life that make him into the leader he is. And then God calls him and Aaron and says, go, and my people are going to be set free. Then we see Moses come against Pharaoh. And we see the 10 plagues, right? And Pastor Anthony said this a couple weeks ago when he was preaching, and it really just stuck with me. He said, with every plague that came, God was demonstrating his power against Pharaoh. And it was almost like the grip that Pharaoh had on the, Israel, on the Israelites. Every plague, it was, oh, I can't hold him on. Oh, I got to let go. Oh, I just can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And finally, we see that Pharaoh lets them go. And so what I want to share with you this morning are three lessons that we can learn from the ancient Israelites that will inform us about the journey of freedom that we are on. You with me this morning? I hate these masks. I can't tell what you're doing. I can't see, I can't see if you're smiling. We should adopt a thumbs up thing. That's even better, right? Thumbs up, all right. First thing I want to point out, God makes a way, but you got to move. God makes a way, but you have to move. Exodus 13, verse 21 says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. So God was going before them and showing them the way to go. And an interesting thing is that immediately after they were released, the Bible says that the fastest way to get where they were going was to go through the land of the Philistines. But it says that God knew if right after these people had gotten set free, that they went into direct opposition, they would go right back to Egypt. So the Bible says that God led them on the way that didn't make sense around something. They probably didn't even know what God was leading them around, but he was trying to preserve their mentality towards their freedom. And something that's interesting, though, you, you've got, you've got a, like a tornado in front of you during the day and just like you know, a, a pillar of fire by night leading you. But God didn't have a leash around his people dragging them along, right? Have you ever put a leash on a puppy? The first time you get a leash on a dog, what's the, it, they do one of two things, right? They either go like this, they don't move, and you're trying to like, come on, come on. You ever see the puppy doing like this, getting dragged down the street fighting? Or you just get a dopey dog who's on the leash and just like freaking out and chewing on the collar and doing everything like that, right? It's a mess. God didn't have a leash on his people. God moved and looked back and said, come on. God moved and looked back and said, come on. Every single step that they went, they had to take a step in faith. Even when it seemed longer and even when it didn't make any sense, they had the presence of God in front of them, guiding them. The key to our journey in, in freedom is our relationship with Jesus. It is the thing that starts our journey in the first place, but it is actually the key ingredient that sustains it as we go along. When we go, when we have a relationship with Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit with us always. He is the one that always points us to Jesus and he helps facilitate our journey. Now, Jesus doesn't come anymore as a, uh, a cloud by day and a, and a pillar of fire by night. Because imagine driving up the parkway, like, there's the Lord, going over, right? 
<laughs> I'm very visual, and it's just funny to me thinking about. Anyway, so he doesn't come like that anymore, but we have an even more distinct advantage. We can hear him. John 10, 27 to 28, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. First off, when we're in a relationship with Jesus, we're secure. There is nothing that is going to come and separate me from him. There's nothing that can come and push me away from him. There's nothing that can take ownership of me away from him. I am his and he is mine. But I love this. My sheep hear my voice. The voice of God leads through his word and spirit. And it's now those two things that guide us, his word and his spirit. So whereas before the Israelites had something physical and natural and external in front of them, guiding them along their journey, you and I have something better. We have God on the inside. We have that internal compass that points us of where we're supposed to go, that guides us every step of the way. We see an interesting moment, though, with the Apostle Peter in Matthew chapter 14, verses 26 to 29. This is the, this is the passage of Scripture where Peter uh, sees Jesus walking on water. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. So now there's this crazy storm going on, the boat is being rocked, and now out in the rain and in the, you can't see very good, they see a, a figure walking and they get scared, but he says, don't worry, it's me. Now here's Peter. Peter gets himself in trouble sometimes. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Have you ever, have you ever offered to do something that you're really, really hoping the other person doesn't tell you to do? We have a baby, and that baby wakes up to eat, but sometimes that baby just wakes up to wake up. And so we're laying in bed, and you hear him crying, and, and I will say to my wife, I will say, honey, do you want me to go get him? And I will. I mean it. I'm really kind of hoping she says, no, I got him. Right? <laughs> Command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus says what? Come. Now, can you imagine you're Peter, and you're like, oh, no. Oh, what I say that. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Now, in this story, so often we look at this. So Peter got out of the boat, and we look at him walking on the water, and we look at the fact that his eyes off Jesus, and he sinks, and all of those things and lessons we learn. But do you realize that none of that would have happened if he hadn't sat in his chair and thought, I gotta move? He told me to. He had to decide to stand up in that moment. He had to decide to take a step to the edge. He had to put his hand on the edge of the boat that's rocking and getting thrown around in the wind. He had to take his foot and come over the edge. All of those things led up to that moment that Peter had. God leads, and when he leads, you and I have to follow. Second thing I want to point out today is that blessing comes from obedience. Blessing comes from obedience. So a little bit further into the Exodus journey, they arrive at Mount Sinai and Moses goes up on the mountain to encounter God, to get to receive the law. But Moses just took a little bit too long. So the Israelites started getting antsy and they come to Aaron and they say, we don't know what happened to Moses. Moses is gone. He's up on a mountain. Who knows what he's doing? He's talking to God or doing whatever he's doing, but he's not coming back. So we need to figure out this whole God situation. Make us something to worship. How fast people's hearts want to turn because we get impatient, right? And then we see that um, they fashioned the golden calf 
And it just betrays something that's so significant. Our hearts, when they're not determined to let God be the center, will elevate anything else to worship. Had they ever even seen a golden calf? They came out of Egypt, and now all of a sudden, for 30 days or some odd days, Moses is gone, and just in that moment, they say, yeah, okay. They saw the plagues. They saw the sea parted. They saw the sea close. They saw all of these things happen, and yet it took them less than a month to lose faith and say, just make me something else to worship. I'm sick and tired of waiting. Blessing comes from obedience. In Philippians 2.8, the Apostle Paul points out about Jesus. He says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That, the Greek word um, that we translate obedient in that, it actually can mean giving an ear or being submissive. And interestingly enough, it is the same word that the apostle Stephen used in Acts chapter seven when he was preaching. And he said this, he said, our fathers refused to obey him. There it is, the same word that was used to describe Jesus is now pointing out the failure in the desert. It says, but they thrust him aside God and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. You notice that they had an external thing guiding them, but inside was still the problem. Blessing comes from obedience. You know, sometimes I think we think God's taking too long. Sometimes I think we get impatient. Sometimes I think we think we've prayed something too many times and we just don't see any evidence that it's happening. But Jesus actually had an interesting thing to say about obedience in John chapter 14. Jesus said in this scripture, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And anybody who's in freedom group week one knows what I'm about to say. Thursday still has room. I'm telling you right now. Shameless plug, get in the freedom group. You can read this verse one of two ways, okay? You can read it and it could say something like this. You know, if you love me, you're just gonna do what I tell you to do. You're just gonna obey. You know, do what you know to do, do what I'm telling you to do because I'm in charge and, and you're saying you love me, just obey, just be good. Do what I'm telling you to do, right? And that has, that's a religious reading of it, right? That is a works-based reading of it, right? But if you really understand what Jesus is saying in his heart towards his people, he's saying this. Listen, if you love me, if you make me first in your life, if you don't put something else above me in your heart, if you allow me to be the center, then guess what? You're simply gonna do what I've commanded you to do because as you're in relationship with me, you start to look like me. You start to think like me. My word gets inside you and starts to transform you from the inside out. That is why when you love me and you're obedient, it's just natural. You don't have to sit there and go in this moment, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do that's godly? It's so hard to do. When confrontation and trial comes your way, you just go, I don't do that. That's not who I am. That's not in me. First point was God moves, uh, God leads, and we need to follow. Second point was blessing comes from obedience. Third thing that I want to share with you today, free people don't let their past control them. Free people don't let their past control them. Notice something interesting. Israel was liberated. They were set free from 430 years of bondage to Egypt. They were dramatically set free in a moment. And after they left, Pharaoh started looking around and started going, wait a minute, who's gonna, who's gonna cut all the rocks? Wait a minute, who's gonna make all the bricks? What have I done? We gotta go get them. 
And we see this incredible chase that happens, right? And they wind up at the Red Sea. And then we see Moses splits the Red Sea with his staff out of obedience. Sea parts, the cloud and the fire go before them, still leading them through the path that was made in the Red Sea. And then the Bible says that the sea collapsed on the Egyptians. Every shred of evidence of the Egyptians that were following them was wiped away in the ocean. You want to know the only place Egypt stayed around? Up here. They couldn't shake Egypt out of their heads. Egypt that kept them in bondage was dead and buried under the water and yet they couldn't stop talking about it. It wasn't behind them. It wasn't coming. It wasn't a day behind. It was dead and they couldn't let it go. That is why as we follow Jesus in relationship with him, God is very interested on what's going on on the inside. Like I said, it's not the external anymore. It's the internal that he's guiding us. That is why on our journey of freedom, the renewing of the mind is something that is so critical. Paul says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. You want to know something interesting about this journey? Your past wants to come back and steal your freedom. Your past wants to come back and it wants to steal your freedom. The things that you've done, the things that people have done to you, your failures, the things that you think God missed out on, all of those things, they want to come back and they want to rob from you the freedom that you stand in when you put your faith in Jesus. The Apostle Peter, we're going to look at him again because he's a gold mine of just kind of quite honestly making mistakes. The Apostle Peter in Luke 22, we see this interesting Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, if God says your name twice, you better listen. <laughs> Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. In the beginning part of that verse there, in verse 31, the word you, it is plural in the Greek. So when he's talking to him first, he's saying, he's saying Simon, listen to me, listen to me. The devil wants all of you guys, the apostles. He wants you, all of you. And he wants to sift you. He wants to rattle you. And notice something. I want to tell you, Satan just doesn't demand to have them. Satan doesn't just demand to have our senior pastors. Satan demands to have every single person. He wants to rattle you. He wants to shake the faith off you. His goal is not only to wipe out your life. His goal is to make you simply ineffective at the call that God has placed on your life. He demands it. So now, Jesus says, he knows it. He says, all of you guys but then he says this, but I have prayed for you. In verse 32, that word you is singular. So now he's talking exactly to Simon Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Awesome. The God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, has prayed that I will not have my, fa my faith fail. It's a show-in, right? That means it won't happen, right? That means that I can't do things that God doesn't want me to do, right? And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, if I'm Peter, I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> you said you just prayed for me not to fail. But then you tell me when I come back, I have to strengthen everybody. The use that was in verse 31. Jesus forgave him of his inadequacies and his failures before Peter had even done them. 
that was that moment where Jesus said to him, I know what you're going to do. I've already prayed that you won't do it, but I know that you're going to do it. So after you've done it, shake yourself off, dust yourself up, remember to be obedient, remember to step every place that I'm leading you because when you do it and when you come back, Peter, I need you to do something for me. I need you to strengthen the people that I have sent to establish my church. I need you to be everything I breathed into you in the very beginning. And then Peter says to him, <laughs> Peter just doesn't get this. He's kind of dense. He's like, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. It's like, no, forget about that. Don't worry about verse 33, Jesus. I'm fine. Verse 32, I'm fine. And then Jesus says this. Sometimes when I read the verses of Jesus, in my mind, they sound like a chest puffed out, right? I tell you, Peter, like the movie guy, right? The movie narrator guy on the, right? I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day. Right? We get this kind of, Jesus is trying to level with the man that will be instrumental in establishing his church on earth. And it's not getting through to this guy. So Peter says, I'm going to go to prison and to death. And then Jesus, I have to imagine, he was just like, prison and death? You're not even going to make it to tomorrow morning. And you're going to deny me three times. And you tell me that you're going to die for me. You're going to tell me that you're going to allow yourself to, to, to go to prison for me. You got to check it. You got to check it. Now, exactly what Jesus said would happen, happened. Peter denied him three times. Here's the rooster crow and realizes his failure. Now, if Peter allowed himself to be defined by his failures, allowed his motion in faith to be dictated by where he's gone wrong. If Peter decided that, you know what, I've tried this whole obedience thing and it's just not worth it, I'm going to do my own thing. Where would we be? God would have raised somebody else up, but Peter's story is so crucial. And then we see something. Over the course of his life, Peter learned something. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-9, through 9, he says this, in this you rejoice. He's talking about our salvation. He says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. My man knows about trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, even though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That looks like a man that learned from his mistakes. That looks like a man that learned that even when I've messed up, I got to keep moving. Holy Spirit, show me what I need to do. Show me how I got to step out of my mess. Show me what I need to do to be obedient again. Show me how to not let that night when the rooster crowed define me, but let me stand above it. How, how to show me, remind me what it was to walk out on the water. Not when I fell down into it, but when you called me and I decided to come out. Let those moments, God, be the ones that define me. And then later in his life, he's able to write this to us. And these principles aren't just something that we see uh, in the New Testament or with the Israelites. King David saw this as well. In Psalm 119, he says this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There it is. You don't need a lamp and a light unless you're moving, unless your feet are walking in a moment of faith. And then he says, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. What is that? I have decided in advance to be obedient to you, to honor you and what you've commanded me to do. And then he says in verse 107, I am severely afflicted. Reality. 
This man has had a rough life. He has been up and down and up and down. He has made some tragic mistakes. I am severely afflicted. But then he says this, give me life, O Lord, according to your word. What he's saying is don't let my past define me. Don't let the things that are chasing me define me. But I know that in you, I find my life. In you, I find my strength. In you, I find forgiveness. In you, I find my salvation. And you're the one that I'm going to run to and not let my past define me anymore. We all need to get this mindset on us. For many people, you might feel like you're stuck right now. For many people, it might feel like regardless of how good you were moving before, maybe this year or maybe things that have happened over the last couple years have rendered you frozen in time in the journey of freedom that you were going on. The next step for every single person is the same. It is to keep moving. It is to decide in advance, I am going to be obedient to what God's called me to do. It is deciding that no matter what has happened to me, I will not let those things define me. I will lean on my past and I will use it as a testimony. I will lean and learn from the things that I have gone through. I'm not saying to just wipe out the past completely, but I'm saying the sting that's associated with it has been rendered neutral. It no longer comes up and I go, oh, that hurts still. It comes up and I go, oh yeah, that was a good learning experience. Let me stand on that, Lord. Let me keep confidently walking forward. Our relationship with Jesus is what sustains this journey. Our relationship with Jesus is what allows us to be fruitful and successful. Forging ahead no matter what is in front of us. You've got to trust the Word and the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you. You've got to learn to look, not at the external things. Just like God led them around the land of the Philistines, they didn't even know it. God is going to lead you sometimes around things that seem longer, more inconvenient, and just quite simply make zero sense. But when the Holy Spirit is urging you, and when you have brothers and sisters around you that are praying for you and coming alongside you and making sure you're standing in wisdom, then that long journey, I don't care how long it takes me to get where I'm going, I know that God's taken me on it. I know that He's in charge, and He is the one who is leading me. Can you imagine what it was like to be an Israelite when you saw that ocean close on the people that used to beat you? When you saw that river and that, that ocean, the sea, shut in on people that killed part of your family, on people that slapped you and whipped you and made you do hard labor your entire life. Can you imagine what it was like to say, it's gone, it's gone. The Israelites were in bondage. They were in death. And as they passed through the waters, they came out on the other side of salvation alive again. And they saw the things that kept them bound to death, the things that kept them bound to servitude. They watched those things die in the water. That is what baptisms are. That is when we come together in November and we're going to watch people go down and come up out of the water. They are saying, the things that were dead, the things that were bound inside of me, I came through the water and on the other side it's been broken. On the other side, the power of sin and death has no hold on me anymore. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm going to ask everybody to actually stand to your feet this morning for a moment and close your eyes and bow your heads. This is a moment where if you do not know Jesus, this is gonna be your opportunity to surrender the ownership of your life to him. 
This is the moment where it's, the Bible says that the Father draws people to Him. And so I'm gonna, all Christians in this room, all believers are praying in this moment right now. Because I believe that just as Pharaoh's hand was loosened and his grip was broken over the Israelites, that there is powers of darkness that are losing their grip over people today. That eyes are opening, that hearts are being set free. So in this moment, we're gonna say a prayer together. And if you want to surrender the ownership of your life to Jesus, if you want to make him king, if you want to let go of the past, if you want to be forgiven of everything you've ever done wrong, all of the things that separate you from him, both in person and online, we're going to say this prayer together. And I'm going to ask you to say this prayer. Can we say this prayer with faith? Sometimes this moment can be quiet. This moment can be uh, timid. This is not a timid moment. This is a moment where by faith we are coming against the powers of darkness and saying people don't belong to you, devil. They belong to Jesus. Yeah, so let's say as faith is here, Jesus, I love you. I surrender all that I am to you. And I believe that by your life, by your death, and by your resurrection, I have been forgiven, I have been set free, I have been restored, I have been made new, I have a new mind, I have, my spirit is alive. Thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. Guide me, teach me, protect me. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to ask, if you said that prayer by faith today, I'm going to count to three. And if you said that prayer, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up so that we can rejoice with you. One, two, and three. Is there anybody here? I see that hand. I see that hand, my friend. I see all those hands over there. I see all five of you over there on that side. I see that. I see you in the back, man. Thank you. I see, I see both of you right there. Thank you, Lord. If you're online even, you can raise your hand by faith. And we are rejoicing with you because today, eternity changed in the lives of dozens of people that today the power of darkness was broken. Jesus, we give you all the glory and all the praise because you are the one who guides us. You are the one who leads us. I pray, Holy Spirit, you come about every single person. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd set free, that you'd break chains, that you would open eyes, that you'd open ears, that you'd soften hearts, and that, Lord, the people that came to know you today, Father, you'd breathe something fresh on them, you'd unlock the gifts in them, you would set them free, you would restore the things that have been robbed and taken away from them in the name of Jesus, and that, God, you would continue to build and empower your church. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amazing. Hey, if you raise your hand to place your faith in Christ today, we have a gift for you. We love resourcing people in the house of God. So as you leave at our Next Steps counter, you can pick up this book, Following Jesus. It's just a real practical step on what it looks like to take that step, right? To be obedient and walk where he leads. So go ahead and do that. If that's you online, if you want to place your faith, give your life to Jesus, we invite you to text CONNECT seven to 97,000. And you can check off that box that says, I accepted Jesus. And we will send you one of these books in the mail. Hey guys, don't forget next Sunday, we are back register so you can have a seat. Transform groups. Don't forget to sign up for that. We love you, praying for you and believing God's freedom every day of your life. God bless you.